Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, visit them at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or online at pl-259.com. It's Ham Radio with Neil Brown. Here we go. Welcome to Ham Talk Live. Call in, let's talk. Neil's your guy. Ham Talk Live. Here we go on Ham Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 119. Bouvet Island Adventures with Ralph K0IR recorded live on Thursday, June 14th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Dr. Ralph Fedor, K0IR, and we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week on the show, Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD, and Dr. Fred Reigenetter, uh, K4IU, were here to talk about the WRTC 2018 competitors as featured in the National Contest Journal. And um, we're at the end of the show tonight, I'll announce the winner of our contest last week for a free one-year subscription to the National Contest Journal. So uh, be sure you see be sure you stay tuned for that. If you missed the show, you can listen to that anytime at hamtalklive.com, or you can catch us on the podcast edition on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your favorite app, or we're also on YouTube. So if you have questions about the Bouvet Island expedition, get those ready to go. And uh, you can call in and uh, join in our conversation in the second segment of the show. And I'll go ahead and give you the phone number. And it's not time to call just yet, but I'll give you the number so you have it ready to go. It's 812 NET HAM 1, 812 Or you can Skype us at HAM Talk Live, or you can send us a tweet. If you'd rather do that, our Twitter handle is at HamTalkLive. So I'll be back with Ralph right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. Hey, honey, have you seen the PL259s anywhere? No, I haven't. Come on, kids. Let's go. There's just one place to go for all of your connector needs. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. A giant warehouse of connectors and adapters for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And they have antennas, 
soldering supplies, cables, meters, and more. Or where do you go if you want to buy a connector at a fraction of retail cost? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine solder type PL259s, get the tenth one for just one penny. They make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a PL259? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Hi, I'm Scott Cole, KB9AMM, president of Tower Electronics. I like the company so much that I bought it. Tower Electronics, coming to a hand fest near you or online at pl-259.com. And we're in the yellow pages under Amateur Radio Connectors. My, wherever did you get that lovely PL-259? Tower Electronics, pl-259.com, or call 920-435-2973. Do we sell PL-259 connectors? Five out of four people have trouble with fractions. Now, here's Neil Rapp with more Ham Talk Live. Tower Electronics has some ham coming up this weekend. They're in Monroe, Michigan, just south of Detroit on the 17th. July 7th, they'll be in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, in South Milwaukee. And then August 5th, Berryville, Virginia, where you can visit them online at pl-259.com. Joining us tonight, Dr. Ralph Fedor, K0IR from St. Cloud, Minnesota, has been licensed since 1962. Ralph's passions have been DXing, contesting, and especially DXpeditions. And uh, Ralph has been on several trips, including Navassa, Amsterdam Island, Malpelo, Bhutan, Peter One, and Saba Island, just to name a few. And Ralph was one of the organizers of the attempt to activate Bouvet Island in January, uh, which he will talk to us about tonight. And uh, he is a retired doctor and radiologist. Um, he's an extra class operator. He's operated from 27 different countries, member of uh, many radio societies. He's on the board of the International DX Association, has been elected to the DX Hall of Fame. So, Ralph, thanks for coming back to Ham Talk Live. Well, thank you, Neil. It's uh, it's great to be back. Well, you, you've been uh, very good about uh, communicating with us about this de-expedition uh, as we were anticipating it, and, and we're all disappointed, but understanding of of what uh, happened, and uh, we're glad that you're all back home. That, that's, uh, that's the good news. So now that the dust has settled uh, a little bit from the trip, and you've had some time to kind of reflect on what's going on i'm sure you've got uh got a bunch of stories to tell so uh, let, let's talk about what what happened on the trip a little bit so again remind us just a little bit about uh buffet island where it is and and what the uh why we were trying so hard to get there okay all right neil well um it's really nice to be back uh, and having made it back from buffet um the island. Uh, Bouvet is uh, known as the most isolated place on Earth. It's a 19-square-mile, almost entirely ice-covered island. Draw a 2,700-nautical-mile uh, line southeast from uh, Cape Horn in South America. 
draw an 1,800 nautical mile line south-southwest from uh, the Cape of Good Hope, southern Africa, and a line extending about 1,000 miles north from the north coast of Antarctica. And where those lines meet, uh, you will find Bouvet. The island is uh, renowned for its winds, low clouds, fog, and its isolation. All these things combine to make it the second most wanted entity by the amateur radio DX community. Uh, it is not a place for the faint of heart, Neil. I, I was just uh, commenting on that earlier that, that I can't even imagine <laughs> going on that trip. I, 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 I'm worried enough as it is, like you know, going to going to St. Louis and back. So, oh uh, <laughs> my. Well, what was the, the plan for this de-expedition? Well, uh, Neil, uh, you know the saying about the best laid plans of mice and men. Um, yeah. Twenty of us uh, were to sail from Punta Arenas, Chile, on January 13th aboard the MV Batanzos, a 236-foot vessel. And we were going to sail the 2,700 nautical miles to Bouvet, spend 21 days at the island, be on the island and on the air for 14 to 16 days, get off the island safely, and sail back to Punta Arenas, Chile. We were prepared to have up to 14 stations active on all the modes and on be, and be on all the open bands, including EME. And thanks to uh, folks like Flex Radio Systems, DX Engineering, and ACOM, we had some of the best equipment, I think, ever assembled. Uh, transceivers, antennas, feed lines, support mast, amplifiers, hardware and safety equipment. And we were poised to do the, the best job possible with the propagation that was available to us. And uh, that was the plan going into this. Okay, and then that obviously didn't go the way we'd planned so um what actually happened with that okay in a uh, in a nutshell and we can get into some of the details a little later but in a nutshell uh we departed from punta arenas chile on january 19th that's six days late we arrived at bouvet on january 31st we spent only three and one half days at the island we never landed on the island and then we limped into Cape Town, South Africa, arriving there on February 17th. And we experienced all kinds of difficulty during our time at sea, uh, going to Bouvet, going to Cape Town, and then a lot of difficulty when we were at Bouvet. And the worst of this was? Uh, let's see. I think uh, that, that's, that's kind of an easy one here. It was the night of February 2nd, and uh, I came to our cabin, which I shared with uh, Glenn and Craig. I crawled into my top bunk, which uh, was a rather difficult feat uh, with the ship rolling and so forth, but after about 10 days, I kind of managed that technique. But I crawled in bed about 11 p.m., and just before I went to sleep, I noticed a slight change in the sound of the engines. I really didn't think too much of it. I fell asleep, and then at 11.30 p.m. that night, 
I and my cabin mates awoke very suddenly to the smell of smoke that was filling our room. And, of course, the immediate thought was fire. We jumped out of our bunks. We opened the, uh, the door to the cabin, and the hallway outside was full of smoke. The smoke was so thick that we couldn't see into the lounge at the rear end of the hall. So uh, other people were waking at the same time. There was a lot of people shouting and calling to everyone. Um, we quickly put on all the warm clothes we could find, shoes, parkas, life jackets, whatever was there and available. And then, uh, as I said, put life jackets on over all of this. And then with the rest of the team, uh, we made our way up a stairway onto the main deck uh, to a mustering point. We counted noses, and all 20 of us were there. It was a cold, it was windy, and it was a very dark night. And uh, I, I'm sure these thoughts were flashing through everyone's minds uh, up there, and that is, how is this going to end? You know, are we going to die in a millisecond when the 3,000 gallons of jet fuel that's 10 feet away from us explodes from the heat of a fire? Are we going to die in a few moments if we have to jump into these icy waters with what we have on? Is it going to be hypothermia in one of the ship's uh, life rafts? Uh, probably dressed as we were in conditions as they were, we would last 24 to 48 hours in that situation. Or would we die from uh, dehydration inside the ship's 60-passenger life boat, which contained no water, no fuel, no food or any other provisions. Now, luckily, this was not a fire, but it was an overheated coupling in the ship engines or the ship's starboard engines uh, drivetrain. What I think happened is that an engine mount was not sufficiently tightened. The engine moved. The engine moved in the uh, the rough seas that we experienced that night, and the drivetrain went out of alignment, and the coupling overheated. Um, this left us with one functional engine, and this ultimately was the reason for aborting the mission. An issue of real concern, I think, is that during this whole ordeal, none of the ship's smoke alarms went off, none of the fire alarms sounded, and it was just our sense of smell that alerted us, uh, alerted us to this danger. Um, I think that's the worst one, Neil. Um, I, I would hope that's the worst because I, I wouldn't want to wor wish anything worse than that. That sounds uh, extremely frightening. So, again, we say we're glad you're all home. <laughs> well, uh, me too. You know, we, we looked the grim, the grim Reaper in the eye that night. Oh, my goodness. Well, what were some of the... Um, the conditions out in the uh, out in the seas, out you know before before this all happened, um, you were riding some pretty rough waves. Um, yeah, that was a, a fairly rough night. Um, the winds, I think, uh, were probably peaking around sixty knots, which is about seventy miles an hour, and the seas, as a result, uh, you know, were were churning and they were rough. And this was all exacerbated by a ship with a, a narrow beam and an apparent uh, lack of ballast, uh, yielding rolls of over 30 degrees in each direction. Uh, so that gives you a 60-degree excursion. And my estimated uh, period of the whole 
rotation or rolling sequence was probably about 15 to 20 seconds. So we were moving a lot and we're moving fast. Uh, but again, this, this is not an unexpected event at Bouvet. Um, we selected our shelters and we designed our antenna masts uh, to withstand 125 mile an hour winds. So this was not something abnormal or unexpected. It is just the way Bouvet is. Now, things like that, you'd really have no control over. And, and you know, it's just like you said, that's the way it is. Um, but, you know, some of the things with the ship and that kind of thing, maybe there were some, some issues. So um, can you identify some of those factors that led to um, having to, to bail out on the uh, – the expedition for now? Well, um, I, I think it's, it's the entire transportation leg of the project, Neil. Um, the multiple problems uh, with the ship, uh, the delays, uh, there was a cancellation of a charter before us because the ship wasn't ready. Uh, there were a number of discoveries that made the vessel seem non-seaworthy. There were safety issues like the, uh, the fire alarms and smoke alarms that I mentioned. Um, it seemed to me that there was an inadequate preparation and uh, information basis among the crew. The, uh, there seemed to be a lack of planning for executing the protocols for helicopter operations. The, um, uh, their assessment of the uh, surface of Bouvet did not meet with uh, what we had learned about the island. They seemed to be uh, more naive about it than I had hoped they would be. Um, comprehension of the weather and the sea conditions at Bouvet uh, did not seem to be there. Uh, they were surprised about conditions. Uh, we were not. Uh, we got what we expected. Um, and uh, like I say, it was just an overall inability to deal with what is normal at Bouvet. But, you know, no matter what the issues were with the ship or with the crew, it ultimately comes down to were there errors made in human judgment and decisions relating to our use of that ship. So this really isn't about bad weather. It's not really about bad seas or an indomitable island. Uh, it all comes back, I think, to the result of human errors and decision making and judgment. Okay. Well, um, I know this was disappointing for all of us, but especially for, you know, the 20 of you who were, were going on that um, journey and spent all that uh, that time, you know, invested in, in going. Uh, what do you feel like was personally the, the most disappointing thing in, in having to call it off? Uh, I can probably come up with uh, a couple of things, Neil. Um, first of all, having this fall apart after years of planning and uh, months of doing things like uh, web work, uh, equipment acquisition, uh, fundraising, building support for the project was uh, uh, discouraging. Let me use that word. Uh, I do regret that our sponsors, you know, who were very generous and supportive, had to share this disappointment with us. They, they really deserve better. Another thing that uh, 
I was very discouraged about was that on the day of our departure, we had extremely good weather. It was a forced departure. You know, we had to leave because of the ship problems. Um, the the island was crystal clear. We had uh, what a pilot would call ceiling and visibility unlimited. Uh, you probably get two or three days like that a year at Bouvet. And we got one, and we couldn't take advantage of it. So that was that was disappointing. And the other thing for me was that when you look back at the history of landings that have occurred at Bouvet in the last 40 years, I can't really find any other expedition that went to Bouvet with the intent of landing and failing to land on the island. Now, they had to wait for weather windows, you know, as we did. But in 40 years, it looks like we may be the only one that failed to land when we intended to. And that's, uh, that's telling and discouraging. Yeah, it sure is, and uh, I know it. It's uh, a, a disappointment for the whole the whole crew. Um, did you feel like you were overburdened or compromised with all the equipment you had to you had to take to try to pull this off? Um, well, we had a lot of stuff, Neil. We had a a forty foot sea container uh, full of things. Which was ultimately broken down into twenty into two twenty foot containers to fit aboard the ship. Um, I, I think, in in a way, this is a, a a mood point and an irrelevant point since none of what we brought made it ashore. If we had only brought a team toothbrush, it wouldn't have gotten ashore. Um, secondly, I, I think our plans were to stage our equipment coming ashore so that. What was ashore could always support the people that were on shore. Uh, the number of people ashore should never exceed what the infrastructure that we had there uh, could support. Um, considering the rarity of Bouvet, uh, the resources that we tapped, the money that we spent, and the time involved, it's almost unthinkable to do this in a minimalist way. Uh, we had a lot of stuff, but I feel that you start from a position of strength and as much, as many resources as you can, and then you build to be the best you can. You don't start with a minimalist approach and a position of weakness because it, it traps you and puts you in a corner. Um, for example, you, you need an amplifier to be heard, but you didn't bring one. Or you need 10 stations to cover what propagation you have, and you brought four. Uh, you need a gain in directional antenna to maximize your effectiveness, but you have a vertical over poor ground. Bouvet is not a, a get-by-with-as-little-as-you-can uh, kind of place. I think you need to do the best that you can and not the least that you can get by with. Uh, you don't get many shots at a place like Bouvet, so I think the DX community deserves that you give it your best shot with all you've got when you get there. Uh, I would agree. Well, what's left? You, you this the story hasn't quite ended yet. Uh, what's left to be done, and, and what's the plan um, going forward from here? Um, the last uh, uh, shoe to fall here, I guess, is getting our sea container with all our gear and equipment uh, back to the U.S. It's uh, currently in Chile. And we're working to get it back and uh, moving to the U.S. It's been a, a slow process, <clears throat> and it's, it's been somewhat of a frustrating process for uh, N4GRN, who has been working really hard to get this 
container moving. Then when we, we have the container back and we know what the expenses involved in getting it back are, uh, we can balance our books. And uh, then we'll, we'll zero everything out by refunding money to our donors on a prorated basis. It's going to take uh, a lot of work to do this, but we have to do it. Uh, I think our donors should not say, keep it for the next one, because we have no idea what that next one will look like, or even even if there will be a next one. Um, We also need to get our equipment back to our sponsors. They're anxious to have that back, and they deserve to get it back. Uh, Again, this is all going to take some time, but uh, we are moving on it. We're moving as fast as the the customs and immigration people in Chile will let us move. Very good. Well, there was an invitation from another group that um, had postponed their plans to try to go to Mouve, <clears throat> and um, they they invited um, your team to go. Um, so tell us about uh, that and and the decisions that uh, were made by the by the team members so far. Okay. Um, first of all, this uh, is or was a personal decision uh, for each individual. Uh, there should not be any corporate coercion or demand that the invitation uh, not be accepted or be accepted or whatever. It's, it's a personal decision for each team member. Um, Dom, uh, 3Z9DX, is leading the, uh, the attempt we're talking about. I spoke with Dom on the phone about a month ago, and we've had a, a few email exchanges uh, since that time. Uh, he presents himself as a sincere and conscientious person with a plan, and our team member responses to, to date have been to decline the invitation, and the reasons given generally go something like this. Um, a time commitment for two long de-expeditions so close together it is just impossible for a lot of people. Uh, some of the team members simply don't want to go back to Bouvet again. Um, it was not a place to their liking. Yeah. And I can't uh, blame them. <laughs> <laughs> also, the the total cost of two projects, again, close together, is just uh, a very difficult uh, financial situation for just about all of us. Um some of the, uh, the team members are concerned about the proposed uh, beach landing. They're uncomfortable with that. Uh, and I think lastly, because the, well, because any extreme de-expedition like this uh, necess- necessitates um, understanding among team members, uh, it demands cohesiveness, complementary skills, easy communication between team members, um, reliability, knowing you can depend on people, a lot of tolerance, and, uh, of course, a lot of trust between uh, team members. And uh, some, as a result, are reluctant to travel with individuals that they don't know well or they have never worked with before. Uh, Again, Bouvet is a very demanding place, and you don't want to take any chances there. But again, uh, this participation, it's a personal decision and up to each one of our individual team members. Okay, very good. Well, uh, we need to take a break here, but any uh, any last thoughts here before we do that and see if we have some calls? Okay. Um, 
First of all, I guess I would tell our audience that uh, we're not heroes and we're not victims of nature's wrath here. Uh, we're not like the expeditioners who go to a quiet Pacific island and are hit by an unexpected typhoon and have to go to great lengths to survive. And those are those are the heroes, okay? Um, we, on the other hand, knew exactly what we were getting into. It was the selection of the ship that seemed to seal our fate here. And what I think we need to do as team members is have the courage to identify and admit our mistakes. We need the strength to correct them. And then we need the intellect not to make them again. Sound, sounds very, very reasonable. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with Ralph and we'll give you a chance to ask your questions and um, take your calls right after this word from the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting right here on Ham Talk Live. The National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting, located in Westchester, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, is only two minutes off I-75. The museum is the former home of the Voice of America Bethany Relay Station. Tours are now available every Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can see the control room, a 200,000-watt transmitter, and the most comprehensive collection of inventions by the iconic Powell Crosley, Jr. Also on display is a huge antique radio exhibit and R.L. Drake's personal collection of most every Drake amateur rig ever made. This is a unique opportunity to see amateur radio in action and have a chance to get on the air from WC8VOA. Admission is only $5 a person. The museum is located close to historic WLWAM and tons of shopping and restaurants. Take a trip to the VOA Museum or visit us online at voamuseum.org. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at hamtalklive.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it's time now for your calls. So if you have a question for Ralph, give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype your question at HamTalkLive or tweet us at HamTalkLive. We'd love to, uh, to hear your questions and comments. Tonight, for Ralph, K0IR. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about the other um, group that, that is going and that the, so far everybody on the team has, has declined to uh, to try to turn around and, and, and do that other trip um, or the other attempt. Have you been able to help that team in any other way with, with some information gathering or anything that you could do? Um, while you were waiting on the boat for the weather to clear out and then, and then unfortunately couldn't? Um, you know, I think they are in um, uh, possession of basically the same information that we had when we went there. Um, they, as well as we, can study weather charts and weather history and so forth. 
Uh, it's all readily available. Um, I have uh, talked to uh, to Dom about uh, my reservations about a beach landing. Uh, he seems to have confidence that this is is doable, and uh, you know it's it's uh, his decision, his choice. Um, we're certainly willing to offer any information or answer any questions that they have. Okay, very good. Eight one two six three eight four two six one is the phone number. If you have something to add to the conversation, uh, please give us a call or uh, send us a tweet. Um, you now you talked a little bit about you know saving the money for for later. Do, do you have any any kind of idea of what um, the expeditions you might do? The, the same you know are you going to try this one again? Are you going to try somewhere else uh, that's maybe not quite uh, quite as difficult? Uh, what what are your thoughts so far? Um, you know I would uh, I would like to go back to Bouvet. The problem I have is uh, time, uh, the amount of money that it takes, and the amount of work uh, that is involved. Um, it, it's like having a, uh, a full-time job and having to put in overtime as you go through the organization of a, the expedition like this. Um, I just don't know if I could, could do that again, uh, Neil. I would really like to, but I don't know if uh, uh, I can get a kitchen pass. <laughs> <laughs> to do this, <laughs> or, or, or if I can find the resources to do it. Would I like to do something uh, a little different and more relaxing? Uh, yeah, I'd enjoy that a great deal. Do I have any idea of what that might be? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Well, we do have a question that uh, came in here, so let's uh, take a look at that from Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD. Um, he says uh, that he heard from team members that a tugboat was never on the way, despite uh, some ham news sources saying that it was. Um, so what what happened with that? The team said that one was coming, or was it practical for, a, for that to even happen when you're 1,500 miles out? Um, it was announced or discussed by a crew member that a tugboat was on the way. Did this seem like a practical thing? No, uh, because as you said, we were probably a thousand miles from uh, 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 the Cape of Good Hope, and to send a tugboat a thousand miles out uh, just did not seem like a a feasible situation to me. And since that tug never materialized until we got into uh, uh, the Cape Town Harbor area, I don't think one was ever on the way, and I don't know where that information came from. Well, that, that, those rumors, you know, <laughs> they, they come up from time to time, and, and, um, so no, sometimes well, that happens. That's it, Neil? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eight one two six three eight four two six one. If you have a question uh, or, or comment uh, for Ralph K zero I R is joining us tonight uh, from the Bouvet Island de Expedition team, and uh, we have a little bit of time left. So if you'd like to chime in, please, please do. I, I'm I'm going to ask something that that may get a little personal here, but but 
the fear uh, of of trying to go back. You say you'd like to go back if if you had the the resources. the The fear is isn't there. Um, let's substitute the word respect in in respect. place of fear. Okay. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for Bouvet, uh, the challenges that it presents. Uh, but I think if you have respect for those challenges, you understand them, and you use your time and your energy wisely, you can do this safely. Uh, it's fast, fast decisions, it's knee-jerk reactions, it's emotion getting in the, in the way of your brain that causes trouble. But I think it's possible to do Bouvet and do it safely. But we, what we need to do is, the cha- is to change the thinking that created all these problems in the first place. We need to think differently about this. And uh, it can be done. Okay. Very, very good. 812-638-4261. If you have a question or tweet us at HamTalkLive. We'll check the uh, the tweets here again. See if we uh, we have anything else that we should address here before we go. Uh, when um, when you were heading back uh, on on one engine, um, w- was there a time when that one engine um, ended up failing? <clears throat> Uh, there is a time when we were on zero engines, uh, Neil. Um, shortly after we left Bouvet, and I, as I say, there was a failure in a flexible coupling in the drivetrain of one of the engines. Um, mysteriously, a spare coupling appeared uh, sometime after we had left, and that was installed to uh, put us back on two engines to get back to Cape Town maybe a little bit faster. However, uh, they had to shut down, apparently they had to shut down both engines to make this change. So we had no forward propulsion there for a period of time, which, of course, is uh, you can't control the ship. You know, it turns sideways into the waves and it rolls and tosses and so forth and causes all kinds of nausea and vomiting and things like that. So, uh, yeah, there was a period of time where we had uh, uh, no engines. Maybe it was a couple of hours, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but immediately after that second coupling got put in place, it failed also, which resulted in another, you know, excursion to the muster point on the main deck while the smoke cleared from the cabins once again. So we, we did this twice. We're getting pretty good at that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was it. And then after the second coupling failed and we were on one engine, they used that engine very conservatively. So our forward speed was like between two and four knots. Uh, we, we were not off to the races going back to Cape Town. Okay. Very good. Well, again, we're glad you're home. We're, we're glad that uh, everybody lived through it and everybody is, uh, is mostly unscathed and, and uh, that, uh, you know, every, everything turned out okay. And, and we uh, hope that the equipment can get back soon and you can kind of finally put all this uh, behind you and, and move forward. Sure. I, uh, I would just like to say one thing about the, uh, the team members, uh, Neil. Uh, outstanding group of people, level-headed, slow to anger, 
they thought things through. You know, nobody got overly emotional or excited. Uh, I remember that night out on the deck that we talked about uh, seeing a few arms going across the shoulders of teammates to kind of say, hey, you know, we're, we're together in all this and I've got your back. So we had uh, an outstanding group of men and uh, my hat off to them. And as uh, as mine, I, I am uh, amazed at the the courage and the um, work that that the entire team has put into this uh, attempt. And um, as as much as you don't like it, sometime somewhere, you know, these are going to fail. And and uh, I admire all the efforts that were. Uh, that were put into making this one um, potentially possible. Well, thank you very much, Neil. I appreciate your comments. And uh, hopefully there will be uh, uh, an occasion when Bouvet uh, does get on the air. Yeah, I, I hope so. And, uh, and, and I hope that if you, if you want to go back, you, that, uh, that you're able to, to do so. <laughs> I, I think I'll have you talk to my wife, Neil. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to her, and and I'll I'll stay here. <laughs> I will take my my de expedition to Cape Canaveral or something. Maybe that maybe that would work. Okay, sounds okay. good. Okay, all right. Well, thanks so much, Ralph, for uh, coming on the show and uh, taking uh, the question. And uh, we're going to give away this. Uh, subscription to the national contest journal and uh and get out of here but uh thanks so much for coming on and, and you're welcome to stay through the giveaway if you want or uh if you need to take off you're you're welcome to do so my pleasure neil and i'll hang around to see who the lucky person is all right well we'll uh we'll do that so uh last week uh we had a question about the show on social media uh to get an answer um for a chance to win a free one-year subscription to the National Contest Journal. And the question was, uh, what radio is Martin, a German, going to use at WRTC 2018? And the correct answer was, of course, uh, a Hellbring. So um, we're going to draw out um, one of the correct responses that came in this week and, and, and from watching wkrp we're, we're going to do this right so we're going to walk into the specially constructed stainless steel vault to select the winner from all of the thousands of entries that came in this week uh and the winner is mark kelm k0gmk so congratulations to mark subscription to the national contest journal will arrive soon so uh congratulations to mark and thanks for everybody participating in that uh but that's a wrap for this week's edition of ham talk live i'd like to thank once again dr ralph fedor k0ir and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and calling in and invite you all back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time when Bart Yonke, W9JJ, and David Isker, N1RSN, will be here from ARRL to talk about field day and take your last-minute questions. It's the show we always do uh, on the Thursday before field day. It's field day Q&A. So if you have a last-minute uh, rule um 
question or a setup question, um, give us a call next week and they will be on here to take those. And for a list of all of our upcoming guests, visit hamtalklive.com. And if you like Ham Talk Live, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps uh, others find us faster. So this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Don't <laughs> do